we went back to that conversation, we talked about how the gut microbiome plays a role in mood disorders, anxiety, depression, and that it was my feeling based upon what I had seen emerging in the research that there was an inflammatory element to the manifestation of these mood disorders. Inflammatory meaning that inflammation is a part of the issue. And we had prior research, Chuck, that started to give us a signal. And now here we are. And here comes the larger scale study with around 2,500 people where they're analyzing the connection between their microbiome and their mood. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in La Mesa, California, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Madrid, Spain. Wherever it is that you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 16 of season 6, number 412 overall. And today we're going to be talking about eating your feelings. Because a new study quite literally shows that your poo can tell if you're feeling blue. So what is the connection between gut microbiome and mental health? We're going to be examining the surprise link between the two with our friend who always puts us in a good mood, two-time New York Times bestselling author and the guru of the gut. Dr. Will Bolsowitz. He joined me on the exam room live where we also opened up the doctor's mailbag to take a broader look at gut health and spent some time answering some of the great questions from the exam roomies who were able to join us live. And by the way, you can always join us live every week. That's Wednesdays, Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific over on YouTube and Facebook. Come on, hang out with us and become part of our growing community of nutrition nuts. All of us eager to get together, raise our health IQs, and best of all, encourage each other along the way. So noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and next Wednesday, Dr. Neil Barnard will be my special guest on the show. And he will also be my guest on March 30th at the exam room live and in person in LA. Dr. Christy Funk, breast cancer surgeon to the stars, will also be there along with a few other surprises. So we're going to be doing this at the eBell. And tickets start at just $15, $15 to join us starting at eight o'clock. Now the VIP tickets, you can join us for an exclusive plant-based dinner before the show. Eat with Dr. Neil Barnard and myself. Get ready for a fun and fantastic evening. Plus, you're going to get exclusive photo ops. I'm going to be bringing my old pants with me so you and a couple of friends can hop in there, grab a selfie if you want. Really just have some fun. Plus, we're going to have some exclusive giveaways for our VIP exam roomies as well. Plus, perhaps best of all, priority seating for the show when we start. All of that, the VIP tickets, just one hundred dollars but seating is limited so act now pcrm.org slash events or just click the link in the episode notes and we do hope to see you there but right now it is microbiome time here on the exam room gut health mental health going together under the microscope with the author of fiber fueled and the harbinger of happiness dr will bolsowitz My man, good to see you. 
Good to see you, Chuck. I'm still I'm still processing this statement. If you're feeling blue, what can your poo do for you? I'm still like, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's it's close enough. I mean, so here's the thing that caught my attention. It was, it was an article in the Washington Post. And in it, they mentioned that there had been studies done where they showed that if they did a fecal transplant, took something from a depressed person, put it in uh, another subject uh, without depression, then the person without depression suddenly had these feelings of anxiety and panic. And those are very uh, common among people who have depression. I'm like, holy cow. So the gut microbiome here is going to play a huge role. I mean, you're a gastroenterologist. And I know that this study is like really kind of blowing your mind too. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, ex I'm super excited about this study because actually this is something that I've been talking about uh, for a while, if you go back to my conversation that I had with Rich Roll that um, that aired in May of this year, or I guess 2022, sorry, <laughs> but just within the past year, uh, if you went back to that conversation, we talked about how the gut microbiome plays a role in mood disorders, anxiety, depression, and that it was my um, feeling based upon what I had seen emerging in the research that there was an inflammatory element to the manifestation of these mood disorders. Inflammatory meaning that inflammation is a part of the issue. And we had prior research, Chuck, that started to give us a signal. And this is the way that it works in clinical research is that you have to start small and find a signal. And when you find a signal, you start to follow that piece of string. And you start conducting larger scale studies that are more expensive, take more time and things like that. And, and now here we are. And here comes the larger scale study with around 2,500 people where they're analyzing the connection between their microbiome and their mood. Just published in December of 2022 in Nature Communications, which by the way is a highly prestigious medical journal, and finding that there are specific microbes, in fact, 12 specific microbes and one family of microbes that are associated with the development of mood disorders such as depression. And we can, I, I, Chuck, I'm, I'm eager to dive deeper into this and talk about some of the individual microbes and frame the context of those microbes, but I, I don't wanna go on for too long. So I'm gonna take a step back and let you uh, take the mic for a moment. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, the, the study is, it's absolutely riveting. Um, and I'll tell you this, it couldn't have come at a more appropriate time. I mean, right now, as it stands today, Worldwide, more than one out of every 10 people will suffer from depression at some point throughout the course of their life. But more recently, I mean, over the last couple of years, experts believe in some countries in particular, the rates of depression have doubled and even tripled throughout the pandemic. So there's a lot of people out here uh, who could use some help. And I mean, we can speculate on the causes of the depression because of the pandemic, but you think about the early days of the pandemic when people were just turning to vices and comfort food and all of the things that may cause this inflammation that we're talking about here today that may trigger that unhealthy gut bacteria that can uh, put you down that depressive road. So let's talk about some of the bacteria that is being produced that can really wreak havoc on the brain. What did this study show? Yeah. So I, I think, the, you know, first of all, we have to say that um, we've never discovered a clear cut gene that explains who will get depressed versus another person. I mean, there's no doubt that mood disorders run in families. 
There's also no doubt that mood disorders are strongly associated with digestive health problems. When mood disorders run in families, what if it's not genetics or exclusively genetics? What if it's that there are family patterns? What if the microbiome is handed down? What if the diet and lifestyle pattern is handed down through generations? Perhaps that is the explanation. And what we're getting from this study is that the microbiome may play a bigger role than your genetics in, in terms of determining your mood. And this is the gut-brain connection. The gut, these microbes, are producing chemicals that have an effect throughout your entire body, including on your brain. And it is vice, it goes, it goes both ways. It's a two-way street because the brain also has the ability to affect your gut and the composition of your gut. So we can't really disentangle these things. The gut, the brain, they're intertwined. They are together in this story. And Chuck, in this study, I mentioned earlier that they found, again, analysis of 2,500 different people. Um, they found specific microbes that were associated. Either they were higher or they were lower. Um, and I want to dive into three of them because I think that the context is rather fascinating. Like, this is the part that I'm like, yo. Yeah, man. This is, like, it's already crazy enough. Break it yeah. down for us, man. Give us give us the trifecta here. Give us the okay. trifecta. All right, cool. So um, number one, uh, there was a bacteria that um, called Egerthella. All right, and... Prior studies have already associated agrothella with an increased risk of developing depression. Like this is not the first study to discover this bacteria, all right? But this study is confirming what we are consistently seeing, which are if you have clinical depression, you have higher levels of agrothella. All right, let me frame agrothella for a quick moment. This particular bacteria has been associated with inflammatory bowel disease. What we know about it is that it produces inflammatory molecules and those inflammatory molecules increase your risk in um, preclinical studies, meaning like laboratory-based studies, increase the risk of developing colitis. And if you look at people who have Crohn's disease, you will commonly find higher levels of this agrothella. So associated with inflammation, associated with increased risk of inflammatory bowel, and now here it is associated with increased risk of mood disorders such as, such as depression. All right. So that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, there is a bacteria, Eubacterium ventriosum. All right. Eubacterium ventriosum. The minute I laid my eyes on this in the study, I was like, oh, I know what Eubacterium is doing. This family Eubacterium is very well known to be butyrate producing microbes. So what that means is that eubacterium is responsible for producing short-chain fatty acids from fiber. Okay, hold up, Dr. B, short-chain fatty acids, I thought that they were good. I thought we're supposed to want short-chain fatty acids. The answer is yes, we are supposed to want short-chain fatty acids. And in this study, the people who had depression had reduced levels of the short-chain fatty acid producing microbe the eubacterium ventriosum. Uh, by the way, this eubacterium ventriosum, it's not just a short chain fatty acid thing. It also is a colorectal cancer thing. Uh, this particular bacteria has been found to be in higher levels in uh, people who are at reduced risk of developing colorectal cancer. In other words, when you have 
basically what I'm saying here is that when you have low levels of eubacterium ventriosum, you are producing less short-chain fatty acids. And the downstream effect of this is increased risk of depression and increased risk of colorectal cancer. That's number two. Last one, number three. I thought this was another interesting one, Chuck. Hey, man, keep going, dude. I'm just taking notes over here. You just keep right on going, man. Dude, this so It's just fascinating to like take this study. And the stuff that we're talking about is not the stuff that um, was the intent of the study. Their intent was to look at depression. So we're looking at these bacteria in terms of depression, but let's put them into context and let's think about these bacteria and where else they're showing up because there are patterns here. There are patterns here. So the third one is Hungatella. So I saw Hungatella in this study and I was like, Hungatella. I was like, where, where is that coming from? Where is this Hungatella? And then it hit me. Hungatella is from a study that I've talked about before, which was a TMAO study. TMAO is a molecule that ultimately is produced by our microbes when they come into contact with carnitine that you find in red meat. TMAO has been associated with increased risk of heart disease, specifically myocardial infarction, heart attack. But TMAO has also been associated with depression. And there was a study a few years ago done in Australia, Chuck, where they found that people who were eating a paleo-based diet produced more hungatella and the hungatella was responsible for producing more TMAO in people that are honestly, many people would characterize it as a pretty healthy diet, like eliminating ultra processed foods, but unfortunately increasing the red meat consumption. And in that study, they had more hungatella, which produced more TMAO. So, so the point with this hungatella is that this is associated with TMAO production and that TMAO, we've seen these prior associations of TMAO with depression. So now we're sort of connecting the dots here. This, once again, this is a bacteria that uh, is associated with depression, but also associated with increased risk of heart disease. All right, man. So you just walked us through a ton of science here. And, you know, the question that I'm left to answer just kind of a lay question here left to ask you, I should say is should it come as any surprise to you, me, anybody, any of the exam roomies who are tuning in right now that as the rates of depression globally have increased. So too has the prevalence more and more people eating that high fat, highly processed diet that contain the same foods that you were just talking about that uh, with the TMAO and all of that. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. And in fact, when you when you look at what the authors of this study are saying, and these are authors who are not, these are not plant-based authors, <laughs> right? There's, there's no political agenda here. These are scientists. They're trying to understand the way that this works. This is a massive and important finding for us to understand the connection, the brain-gut connection, and how that affects our mood and how these microbes are so relevant. But then when you take away what these authors are saying. I'll give you a quick example. One of them, his name is Jack Gilbert. I've been following his work for years. He's at the University of California, San Diego. I'm a big fan. Uh, he was actually involved in the American Gut Project, which is where when you hear me talk about 30 plants a week, that was that was his study. And what he says about this uh, new research is basically, look, like we need fiber. We need fruits. We need vegetables. We need less sugar. And effectively, what he says is the sheer amount of research confirming the power of a healthy gut has become undeniable. 
even for the most hard-bitten skeptic. That's a direct quote. The sheer amount of research confirming the power of a healthy gut has become undeniable for even the most hard-bitten skeptic. This is what the scientists are saying. It's exciting. I mean, that's a powerful quote right there. Um, we've been talking about the bacteria uh, that's present that may be causing a lot of these issues. Let's uh, flip the script a little bit and talk about maybe something that's missing uh, that could be equally detrimental. I know in uh, one of the articles that was covering the study, it was published, uh, this article was in the Washington Post. Um, there was somebody who came on uh, who also was talking about how uh, there was gut flora that was really kind of not there in a lot of these people who were suffering from depression. So what do we know about that? Right. Well, so uh, when you manifest depression, there are the microbes that are more present, like the hungatella and the egerthella. And then there are the, there are the microbes that are inadequately represented. And the Eubacterium ventriosum would be the example of one of the ones that was inadequately represented. And that's kind of what they're referring to when they say that, that there's certain things that are missing. And if we could just get those things back in, well, guess how you get Eubacterium ventriosum back in? You feed it. The way that you feed it is with fiber. Fiber is the food, prebiotic that nourishes these microbes, that makes them stronger, that makes them more powerfully represented. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that these authors are saying fiber, fruits, vegetables. I mean, I would add also whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes. Let's not forget those parts. They contain fiber too. But, you know, Chuck, coming full circle on this, I mean, this is a microbiome study. Let's come full circle. We're basically saying that the microbiome is basically shouting at us. Feed me. I want fiber. I'm starving. And there was a study that was done by Professor Felice Jacka, who is at Deakin University in Australia, called the SMILES trial. And in the SMILES trial, she changed people's diets. And she gave them a high plant, high prebiotic, high fiber Mediterranean diet, and noticed substantial improvement in depression on a, on a scale that you would expect to see with medication. And so if you fit this study in with these other studies, like the ones that are showing that a high fiber Mediterranean diet is treating depression, you start to see the pattern. The pattern is very clear. Fruits, vegetables, whole grain seeds, nuts, legumes, you put them in your mouth, you chew them up, you swallow them down. They come into contact with your gut microbes. They support and lift up the right microbes. And those microbes pay the dividends. And one of the potential benefits is improvement of mood. It's just one. There's many benefits. We're rising the tide, but one of the potential benefits is improvement of mood. So, uh, okay. I, I love this, man. Um, one of the other points that was raised in the WAPO article, and, and and they just kind of like put everything into summation in one sentence. It was basically, you know, it may feel like a letdown that the message from all of this is just to eat plenty of fruits and vegetables and not so much excess sugar. Now let's focus on that last part there, the excess sugar. That to me is interesting because if you think about if you're having a bad day, you're feeling kind of rotten, you're riled up, maybe what do a lot of us turn to? Like a sweet treat to put the smile on our face. It sounds to me here though, that you're going to get a short-term gain, uh, but not the long-term benefit here. So what do we know about sugar's role in all of this? Well, these things are complicated. I, th I think that in that setting, we all feel that compulsion, some of us on a higher level. 
uh, where we feel compelled to eat those foods in that setting, right? That's the reason why we call them comfort foods. And uh, there has been the suggestion that our gut microbes may play a role in that, but it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle because the, the, the problem that exists is that we feel compelled to eat those foods because we don't feel well. And we eat those feel foods and it makes us feel worse. And we're digging ourselves deeper into a hole. So what do we do? We have to break the cycle. It's the only way out. We have to break the cycle because if we stay in that cycle, we're spinning and drilling down. And we want to go up. And we want to be better. And we want to feel good. And the way that we accomplish that is by starting to shift our diet towards more fiber, towards more of these plant-based foods. Um, and in doing that, that's, that's ultimately how we dig ourselves out of this hole. Chuck, I've lived it myself. If you go back to a little more than 10 years ago, I, I've talked very publicly about how I was 50 pounds overweight. And I've also said this, but I want to emphasize this. I was miserable. I was extremely anxious. I was completely depressed. I was spending a lot of days curled up in a dark room under a blanket. I'm not kidding when I say that. That's, that's where I was. And I just wanted to be left alone. And I knew that I needed to feel better. And I needed a way out. And I, and I thought that exercise could do it. And exercise by itself was not enough to fix these issues. It did help, but it, it was not enough to fix these issues. Changing my diet. You can, you can start that change today. You can do it the exact same way that I did it 10 years ago, which is you make a smoothie. It's a great place to start. Just replace that unhealthy fast food meal with a delicious, massive smoothie and see how you feel and you will feel the difference. Dude, uh, you and I, in a lot of ways, man, just kind of kindred spirits with that. Um, I'm sure you can just, relate, Chuck. Bro, I mean, I had wicked bad depression here. Um, you know, I was put on Prozac when I was in the sixth grade. This was, this was a few years before they even put me on high blood pressure pills, man. I was on Prozac in the sixth grade because I had gotten sick and got better pretty quickly with whatever antibiotic the pediatrician had prescribed me, but I just couldn't bring myself to get up out of bed. So I continued to fake that sickness because I had no desire to do much of anything, including school. And so I'm faking it. And eventually my mom takes me back to the doctor and the doc's like, look, man, I can't find anything physically wrong with you. I think you're depressed. Here's a prescription for Prozac. And I remained on antidepressants for many, 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 many years and continued to struggle. Like the antidepressants, I feel like in a lot of way, didn't really help me all that much. They helped some, you know, there were more good days than uh, previously with them. But because I continued to eat, you know, the same way, continue to live the same kind of life. I didn't see much of any improvement and I would continue to miss like two and three weeks of school at a time because I just couldn't get myself to rise up out of bed, go through my day. And even into my early adulthood, man, I can't tell you how many fantastic career opportunities I missed because like you, I was at home curled up in a ball, dark room, blanket over my head, wanting nothing to do with life, man. Yeah. Nothing to do with it. I think that's hard for people to relate to unless they've been there. Um, but it's weird because you see the world in shades of gray. And um, 
And I, and I just want to comment on some of the things that you just said, Chuck, because I think it's important and I want people to hear me very clearly that there's no negative stigma around taking medication no. to treat no. these issues. No. That um, for people who need those medicines, they are life-changing medicines and I fully support them. But the key is this, the, the problem the problem is not the absence of medication, right? We now see with more clarity where the root of the problem exists. And if we want to get you to a better place, we have to address the root of the problem. And so the medication can be the bridge that helps to build you towards that better place. But part of what we absolutely need to do is to implement a diet and lifestyle strategy that transforms and shapes your gut microbiome so that you are creating lasting change. And that medication, it's something that you may not actually require in the long term once you actually implement those changes and reshape and retransform your microbiome. Yeah. And if you look at it in that same way, I mean, that's you're framing it very similarly to, you know, anybody that may be on uh, medication for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, whatever the case may be, you know, the goal would be to get you to a point where you no longer need those medicines. And as you said, there should not be a stigma surrounding them. There absolutely shouldn't be. I don't feel ashamed that I was, you know, taking antidepressants for years. I, I don't, you know, that's where I was at the time. So, um, that's, yeah. I mean, that's a very outdated I I ideology when it comes to things like that. You know, it's yeah. a very outdated ideology to act like, uh, these are not, um, significant clinical disorders. And I, and I think that the, I think that the bottom line is that I've just seen so many patients that the, these medicines can be life-changing for them and they need them. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. Yeah. All right, man. You know what? We got a little heavy here. I think that we need some okay. levity here. So let's yeah. go ahead and uh, open up the doctor's mailbag and do what we do best. Have oh, okay. I thought we were going to talk about poop, but okay, cool. Well, well, I'm, I mean, <laughs> look, dude, you're here. We can talk about poo all day. I just need this, this question from Jim answered. Jim bluntly asks, so are you saying that bacon makes me depressed? Am I saying that bacon makes you depressed? I do think that I do think, okay. <laughs> there is no doubt that there are foods that we eat that we feel great in the immediate period after we eat them 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Right. But on the flip side, um, are we paying a price in the long term? One time, like having, having that food one time, I'm not trying to pretend that that's destroying your health. That would be like having, saying having one cigarette is destroying your health for the vast majority of people. That's not going to be the case, but is bacon ultimately causing you long-term harm? Yes. Do I believe that there's any benefit to consuming bacon other than for pleasure? No. So from my perspective, I just don't see why, I just don't see why we would make this a central part of our diet. I understand that people, they want their bacon, they enjoy their bacon. And I think that, you know, there's a place where, um, again, I'm not advocating for you to consume bacon. I just think though that there's a place where, we need to try to do the best that we can to reduce these foods that are actually causing harm to our body. Yeah. And I think when you get a specific food like that, you know, you, you hear the term on this show from time to time, reductionist view of things like drilling yeah. it down to one thing, but really more often than not, it really, you can stop drilling down at the overall scope of the person's diet, right? And if the overall diet is healthy, the person's going to be in far greater shape, more likely than not. 
than somebody who is eating that standard American diet that just happens to include bacon, right? Yeah, totally. I think I think that at the end of the day, it's uh, it's dietary pattern. Dietary pattern is the key, as you said. There you go. All right, man. So now let's talk about the poo. You know what fascinates me though is that the researchers were literally able to analyze these fecal samples and tell whether or not a person was depressed. The person could say no on the questionnaire that they filled out, but the poo was like a lie detector test, man. And they were at nope, nope, nope. This person's got the blues. The poo told on you. That to me is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I, I think that, you know, this where I come back to with this is that um, I'm not that surprised because as a gastroenterologist, well, because as a gastroenterologist, the prevalence of mood disorders in the patients that I've cared for with irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, I, I mean, it's wildly and disproportionately elevated compared to people that don't suffer with those particular issues. So when you start to say, well, is there a connection between the gut, these gut microbes and mood? The answer clearly now is yes. And what that means is that there also must be a connection between our bowel movements because our bowel movements are connected back to our gut microbes as well. So I think that this is like, we're starting to see the dominoes falling here um, and making compelling uh, cases about this. By the way, someone mentioned that you can make great tempeh bacon in the chat. And I wholeheartedly agree with that, that, that tempeh bacon, like I love a tempeh bacon, lettuce, tomato, and avocado on sourdough. Apple. That sounds good. See, you always yeah. talk about food at lunchtime. Yeah, I know. I'm dude. sorry. It's like, I mean, it's, on, it's right man. around lunchtime and like, you come know, come I, on. I, also, I almost want to take a break and go get one, but I won't. <laughs> Push pause. Everybody come back in yeah. 10 minutes. Uh, let's do a roll call real quick. I want to say hi to Deepak, who's watching us today in India. We've got Kelly in central New York, Maxine, San Pedro, California. Stephanie is here. Teak is here. Dom Chanzangmo. I know I just butchered that. I'm so sorry, but they're watching today in Germany, which is absolutely fantastic as well. Global impact on your health. That's what we aim for here on the show. Um, a lot of people, Dr. B, are asking about fermented foods and how they may be playing a role here. Uh, sauerkraut, kimchi, miso, all of those things, part of the healthier diet. Generally speaking, when we're talking about that overall healthy diet pattern, are fermented foods something that somebody you know, who may be feeling blue may want to look at incorporating into their diet? I think so. I think so. I mean, what we do know is that people who suffer with these mood disorders typically also have uh, a reduced diversity within their microbiome. And we now have research suggesting that you can increase the diversity, um, which is the direction that we typically want to go. You can increase the diversity within your microbiome by adding fermented foods to your dietary pattern. So now the argument is not like, hey, you should have, you know, one of your meals be entirely fermented foods on a daily basis. This is not an excessive consumption kind of thing. This is small portion sizes, um, but like making it a more routine thing because the vast majority of Americans quite simply are eating a sterile diet. So we need to be looking for opportunities to add these microbe rich foods back in. <laughs> so random fun comment i just it it just jumped out at me in the chat uh somebody's saying that uh their best friends uh she and her best friend are huge fiber fueled fans and uh, her friend is hoping that one day she can run into you just so she can say fiber is fire <laughs> that to me is hysterical have you ever had somebody come up to you randomly and just say fiber is fire 
You know what? I've had people who come up to me randomly, and every once in a while, they will say fiber is fire, and that is you get major bonus points if you do that. Like, because it's that's a it's clear to me when you do that that you're sending a secret code from your first book. Oh, that's so cool! That is so cool, man. You know. I would love for you to be with us in LA on March 30th. I wish you could be there when we do the big exam room live show out there. Dr. Neil Barnard, he's going to be there. Dr. Christy Funk, breast cancer surgeon to the stars, she's going to be there. But you talk about like people coming up to you and, you know, just how cool that can be. Uh, Katina, uh, Katrina rather, just said that she's purchased three tickets for her and her daughters. They're going to be there. So Katrina, uh, when you come, if you want to say fiber is fire, you know, we can shoot a little video. I can send it over to, to Dr. Bolsowitz there, you know, just so he can feel the love from the West Coast. I think that that would be fantastic. I, I mean, think that would be I fantastic. love that. I think that sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. By the way, tickets are on sale right now. So uh, PCRM.org slash events is the place to go to pick up those tickets. Uh, VIP packages are available, but general admission, check this out, starts at just $15. Show starts at eight, but the VIP package includes dinner beforehand, exclusive photo ops, a meet and greet with Dr. Neil Barnard and myself. I'm going to be bringing my big pants. So if you want to hop in those uh, with a couple of your friends or Katrina with your two daughters, I guarantee you all can fit in there. Grab a selfie in those and just have a good time. Plus the VIP tickets come with priority seating for the show when that begins at eight. So pcrm.org slash events is the place to go or just click the link right now in the episode notes. Um, interesting question from Peter as we shift back to nutrition talk here. Wants to know, again, going back to the salt concern with a lot of these fermented foods. He says, yeah. if I rinse off my sauerkraut, get the salt off, will I also be losing a lot of other nutrients? I don't believe so, but I do think that there's benefit to the sauerkraut juice. Um, so I think that the concern about salt is a bit overstated. You know, if you take the standard American diet, which is far excessive in terms of salt intake, and you start adding fermented foods into the standard American diet, well, you're already excessive in your salt intake. But if you were to eat a healthful, balanced diet that is predominantly whole food plant-based, well, plants uh, inherently are not carrying with them a, a disproportionate uh, concentration of salt. And you're going to be in a good place at baseline. Um, you're not going to be excessive. And if you take a person who's in a good place at baseline and you add some foods that contain salt, such as you know sauerkraut or kimchi or things of that variety, and you add them in, you're still not putting yourself in a position of excess. So as long as you're consuming these foods in moderation and not wildly overdoing it, I really don't share those concerns, to be completely honest with you. I think it's a bit overstated and we're, we're scaring ourselves away from food that we should be eating more of when we're not eating these foods at all. Sam makes it simple at 12.07. Question for you. What is the effect of fasting on the microbiome in a case of somebody who is a chronic overeater? Do you know what, what effect that may have here? We think the fasting is, um, generally speaking, beneficial to the microbiome. I will say that I'm of the belief that it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, that some people do really well with fasting and find it to be, to be really helpful for them, and others not quite as much. Um, but what we do know is that when you give your gut a break, so your gut is going to adapt to your environment no matter what you're doing, no matter what, like... <laughs> What you're doing literally right now, your gut is adapting to where you are, what you're doing literally right now as we speak. So when you make the choice to have a number of hours where you choose to not consume food, 
uh, during that time, it will shape the microbiome. There will be changes that take place. And we see that in, in a way, there can be sort of a resetting effect that can be beneficial to the gut. So what I've typically recommended in my books is striving to start with 12 hours. And really the, the key here, Chuck, from my perspective is having that early dinner time. By early dinner time, I mean ideally before 8 p.m., preferably even before 7 p.m. if you can. Having that early dinner time and then having like making the rule that you're not going to have that late night snack, that you're not going to have that alcoholic beverage before you go to bed. I think that we have a bad habit like on a societal basis of sort of having those snacks, having those sweet treats, drinking that alcohol, and you're doing it at 10 o'clock at night and you are basically going to bed with that now activating inflammatory pathways in your microbiome overnight while you sleep. No, sleep is intended to be restorative. Sleep is supposed to be anti-inflammatory and part, in the, part of the way that we allow ourselves to have that restorative anti-inflammatory sleep is by giving our gut a rest. So to me, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or something like that is a great place to start. And then if you want to try extending it beyond 12 hours to more things like 16 hours or 18 hours, you can start to work your way up from there and, and see how you feel. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, man, that connection here with mental health and fasting, all I know is just simply put here, again, coming from the lay guy over here, uh, if I eat late and I wake up bloated, I'm grumpy, man. Like I am grumpy when I eat right before I go to bed and no matter how hungry I am, I really try to remember that. You know what I mean? Just, you want to start the day feeling good and God knows when I eat right before I go to bed, I'm going to wake up in the morning, not feeling my best. And here's not the thing, a good mood. you have proven this for yourself and that is an important and powerful tool that we have. Um, in our toolkit, because not everything that we need is going to be proven by population-based research. In fact, understanding understanding your own personal response to certain things is really critical. So if, effectively, what you've done, Chuck, is you've shown, now I, I, I'm of the belief, by the way, that when we eat snacking late at night, like all of us, there's we're not making ourselves more healthy by eating candy at 10 o'clock at night and having a beer. Okay. But <laughs> Um, but my point, though, it, my point, though, is that we should be in tune to our own signals and we should be viewing these things as like, how does this work for me? And you've proven it for yourself. And therefore, that information is highly valuable because then you can use this as motivation to make a better choice. And you know what? We're going to boil that down to three words. Do you, boo. That's what it is. Do you boo? <laughs> 1214 question from Aaron. Uh, with less sunshine in the winter, I have to fight the gloom. What should I eat to boost my mood during the cold winter months when sunshine is hard to bask in? Well, I think that the dietary strategies don't substantially change. I think that we should be opting for uh, high fiber fruits, vegetables, whole grain seeds, nuts, and legumes diet, you know, predominantly, if not exclusively those things throughout the year. I mean, I really think even in the wintertime, it becomes even more important. But what else can we do? Well, I, I would actually say one of the really important things is light exposure. Um, preferably what you want is the full spectrum light exposure that you get from stepping outside. So even if you live in a place that does not capture a lot of sunlight, the sun comes up later and it's very cold at night, I still would recommend, if it possible, that you bundle up 
throw on, you know, the layers and step outside for five or 10 minutes. No glasses, by the way, take the glasses off and get that full spectrum light exposure early in the morning. Um, it improves mood. It will also improve your sleep. Improving your sleep improves your mood as well. So that, that to me would be my recommendation. If you can, you can get a light, but getting a light like a lamp is not the same as actually stepping out and getting that full spectrum sun exposure. All right. Fun story. So back, uh, back in the days when I was really struggling with depression, I did get one of those lamps and I got one of the hardcore ones. I'm not talking about like those happy little light boxes. I'm talking about like the ones that you got to wear goggles to stand in front of. Yeah. Literally like a laser. I mean, it was, it's like four, uh, you know, light bulbs that are like tubes, you know, fluorescent light bulbs, except they weren't fluorescent at all. Um, anyway, like I, gave myself a sunburn because I sat in front of this thing too long in front of a friggin' light. It was the craziest thing. Swear to God. I got it in the closet. That's, uh, you know, right up the hall here still. It's just wild, wild stuff. That's your random story for the day. The look yeah. on your face is like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Uh, you're faking bacon. I, I can't make this stuff up. Can't <laughs> make this stuff up, man. Uh, all right. Talking about bloating. Let's just move on. That was Interesting. Uh, vegan scorpion at twelve thirty. Is it a bad thing to have a bloated stomach after beans, or is it just a little uncomfortable thing that you got to deal with? So we all we all have gas, and we all we all have gas. We all pass gas. That's that normal biological function. Um, so the presence of some bloating on occasion is not something that I would like say means that you have a serious disorder or a serious issue, but. You know, on the flip side, for people that have digestive health problems, they, they may struggle with the, this type of food more than others. Um, so beans, what's unique and special about beans is that they're extremely high in prebiotics. They have fiber, they have resistant starches, they also have polyphenols, all of which feed your microbiome. These are microbiome foods. But for a person who has a damaged gut, they may struggle to consume these foods a little bit more than the average person. We want to keep our bowels moving. Um, when you keep your bowels moving, you will improve the experience and your ability to digest and process these foods. You also may want to opt for smaller sized legumes as you get your body accommodated or adjusted to it. So you start low and you go slow in terms of adding these foods. So if you're not regularly consuming these foods and then you eat the five bean chili, you should expect that this may actually cause some gas and bloating because you've kind of just taken it too far. But when I say small legumes, I'm talking about, for example, lentils. Lentils can actually be, particularly canned lentils, are low in FODMAPs. And so even though they're a legume, it can be a great entry point into, into legumes. And then you can build up from there as you move towards things like kidney beans and fava beans and things like that. Moj at 1230 is wondering whether there are different microbes in different fermented foods. So are the microbes that are found, say, in kimchi different from the ones that are in sauerkraut? Yeah, there's different microbes in different foods. I mean, kimchi and sauerkraut are going to have similarities between them, uh, mostly because you're, you're actually selecting for microbes that exist native to the cabbage. So because these are both cabbage-based ferments, there's going to be some similarities or overlap that exists there, but also kimchi, you're bringing other plants into the ferment. And so that I would expect that there would be like, if you were a microbiologist and we gave you two specimens, one is a sauerkraut microbiome, the other is a kimchi microbiome, 
you would see the overlap, but you would also see that they're clearly distinct. All right. Now let's uh, wrap things up today with a question that was sent in by Christopher. He actually left this as a comment in a previous show where you were talking about the spices that you add to your coffee. And so Christopher wanted some clarity on this. And he's wondering whether you should use equal amounts of turmeric, ginger, and cinnamon blend when you're making this. Uh, you know, I mean, let me let me just say, I have a little bit of an issue, Chuck. <laughs> I have to come clean because the the issue is that I uh, I don't like using recipes, mm. and I'm not exactly precise when I cook. Yep. I'm a good cook. You can ask my wife. I'm a good cook, but I just make stuff up. And so when I was preparing my cookbook. They're like, uh, dude, you can't just like tell them what the ingredients are and, and then just say, do it to taste. Like you can't do that. You have to tell them exactly how much you have to be precise. And I'm like, oh, but like, I just want to throw stuff in there. So when I do my coffee, I'm not even sure how much I'm doing. I literally am taking the jar and going sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle of each one of these three. It probably ends up being equal amounts. Um, but it's hard for me to like completely specify with precision exactly what you're supposed to do. So I apologize for that. As a cookbook author, I should know better. Oh man, that's the state, dude. I'm the same way though. I'm, I'm totally an eyeballer in the kitchen and it drives my wife nuts. If I'm out of town and she's like, honey, how do you make this? How much do I add of this? How much do I add of that? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Just taste it. Just taste yep. it and find out, you know, you'll know when the, when the time is right. And she's like, and you know, it's a good thing that I'm not Hold home that night. Pumpkin pie spice. And um, I'm a big fan of that as well. So pumpkin pie spice, uh, you could use it year round. doesn't have to be a fall thing. I mean, see, Just you know, ask. Yeah. You know, let, your, let your intuition guide you based upon how you feel and what you're sort of in the mood for. Um, but pumpkin pie spice, you can definitely add. I've had great success with that with my coffee. <laughs> uh, here's a nice comment from Alicia at 1232 says, if you've not taken any of Dr. B's classes, I highly recommend them. I've taken five of them and I've learned a lot. So what do you have cooking up class-wise right now, man? What's going on with you? Well, first of all, that's amazing. And I'm highly honored. And Alicia, I hope that I get to meet you someday. Uh, real quick, Chuck, over the weekend, I was at a little shindig and um, uh, I bumped into someone who had taken like multiple of my courses. Wow. And so it was really cool to have the opportunity at like this little sort of shindig house party thing to be able to meet someone like Alicia. So I'm highly grateful. I, I One of the things that I've tried to do is to build courses that um, empower people to better gut health. And for different, I, I completely recognize that for different people, they have different needs. You can't just build one course for everyone. So the way that I've sort of um, taken this on, taken on the challenge is that I have my master class, which I sort of view as it's like you're taking a college level course with me. And that's a seven week program. And I'm very proud of the fact that I have consistently gotten somewhere in the range of 95 to 98 percent of the people who take that course say they would recommend it to their friends. Like that to me is like, OK, well, I've, I've, I'm doing my job properly if that's the way people feel when they finish this course. So that's my master class, and that's a bigger, more sort of overarching course in terms of, of gut health. But I have things that are more niche or um, specific uh, condition uh, based. So I have a constipation course. I have an acid reflux course. 
And then I have three food intolerance courses that you could take one, you could splinter it off and take one, or you could take all three together if you want to address your food intolerances. So, and they're all, all of these courses, Chuck, are available at my website, theplantfedgut.com. Um, you'll find them there and they can be um, taken on your own time. So in other words, like you can start whenever you want. And once you get access, you have lifelong access. And it just so happens that we've put a, a link to that uh, in our show description right there. So go ahead and uh, give it a one click. Go right over there, man. That's that's great. Um, dude, uh, I can't wait to catch up with you in person next week. I'm speaking in Bluffton uh, next Thursday night. But before that, I'm going to swing by and, you know, try to, you know, have a meal or two with you, have a little fun. I don't know what we're going to get into, but it will definitely be really good to see you again, man. Well, I know what we're going to get into. My my kids are like, when's when's Chuck coming? When's Mr. Chuck coming? So um, my kids are super excited to see you, Mr. Chuck. Oh man, I'm I'm pumped to see them as well. Um, is is the orange tree out back? Is it bearing fruit at the moment? Oh well, interesting that you should ask. So um, it got kind of cold here in Charleston, and mm. so we we go up and down. I mean, it'll be like 70 degrees, and then like a week later, it'll be you know nighttime temperatures in the 20s. So we go up and down. So anyway, I brought the trees inside and you're going to, you're going to be really excited to see these, these trees are flourishing. So my fig tree is um, doing extremely well. My orange trees, they, they're uh, currently they have flowers. So I'm interpreting that like I'm of the belief that those flowers mean that there's a very good possibility of multiple oranges um, in wait to like later in 2023. Cool. All right. Then I'll make another trip back down. I'll make another trip back down. Uh, cool thing, though, before I get to Charleston, this Sunday, I'll be speaking at the Gainesville Veg Fest. So if you're in the Gainesville, Florida area, come on out. It would be great to see you in person. Um, come out. We're going to be talking about overcoming food addiction, the healthiest foods, the most addictive foods, the least addictive foods. Spoiler alert, it's broccoli. Um, but anyway, come on out. It'll be great to see you. And uh, that's a plantbaseddiet.org for all of the details there. We're also at uh, the Physicians Committee looking for a nutrition associate. So if you're looking at making a job change, you want to get on the plant-based career train, head over to pcrm.org slash careers. And I think that's all the plugs. I'm pretty sure that's all the plugs. I'm going to call it there because I feel like we've done enough plugging here. So you ready to put the plug in this show? Uh, Chuck, I'm not, I, I, I honestly, I'm like at a loss for words with that. I'm not really sure where to go with that. So I think I'm going to real quick divert over to the comments and just say that one person asked, <laughs> how long does it take for your gut buddies to munch on food you've just eaten? And the answer is less than 24 hours. Another person said, is it okay to use glycerin suppositories once in a while to have a good bowel movement? The answer is once in a while is not a big deal, but it would make me wonder if there's something else going on with the pelvic floor. Um, and now I'll kick it back to you, Chuck. Sorry. No, all good, man. That's called housekeeping and putting a bow on things. So you, that's a professional thing to do. Okay, cool. <laughs> well done. Uh, thank you, Dr. B, for being here, man. Can't wait to do this again with you. Oh, man. Thanks so much, Chuck. Thank you, everyone, for the activity in the, in the chat box. Always love to see it. And I uh, hope everyone has a great day. It's funny, you know, after the interview was over, Dr. Bolsowitz was like, man, we got real today. We got real today and we did, but it's like I told him, it's important that we peel back another layer of the onion from time to time and be a little bit more vulnerable because if you or somebody else is going through the same kind of depression and fighting that, 
you know, it's important to know that they're not alone and there is something that they can do. There is hope out there. And so the more that we talk about it and share our own experiences, truly the healthier we all can become. And I love, by the way, thank you guys so very much for all of your kind comments when Dr. B comes on the show. Reading them on YouTube, just it, it cracks me up. You talk about our buddy-buddy relationship and just how we joke about things all the time. And we do. I mean, it's just two dudes hanging out, talking about things that matter. And nothing could possibly matter more than your health. So we have a lot of fun doing that. And certainly, we had a great time today. Even though we got a little bit heavy, we still had a great time talking about the connection between microbiome and mental health. And I talked a little bit about being diagnosed with depression when I was in the sixth grade and how, you know, there, there are more good days than bad, far more good days than bad these days. Absolutely. And one of the biggest reasons for getting out of bed for me, and I, I tend to wake up with a smile on my face, but what really excites me is that I get to do the show for you and bring all of this information to you and know that it could genuinely improve somebody's life. It can improve their health. It can give them a reason to smile again. And that is the coolest thing in the world. So we got to keep getting that information out there. We got to keep lending that helping hand. And you can really pitch in with this. All the exam roomies can really pitch in and lend a helping hand here. And the easiest thing that you can do, always ask this because it makes such a difference, is if you could hop on Apple Podcast or Spotify, give the show a follow or subscribe leave a five-star rating when you do. And if you want to share in the comments with the review, if you want to share a little bit about how you've been able to improve your own health or something that you like about the show, maybe we can share that on the show as well with the segment that we call five-star health success. Would absolutely love to be able to feature you there. So go ahead and do that right now on Apple Podcast or on Spotify and really help make the world a healthier place because the more new subscriptions we get, the higher we climb in the rankings and the closer to the top we are, the easier it becomes for somebody who is struggling and needs a reason to smile. It makes it so much easier for them to find this information. So let's all band together and to do that. And that would be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Couple other things real quick before we wrap up here today. I mentioned that I'll be speaking at the Gainesville Veg Fest on February 12th, but on February 19th, I'll be at the Southwest Florida Veg Fest in Bonita Springs. And so there's a link to that right now in the episode notes if you want to RSVP to that. They ask that you do. It's a completely free event, but it's February 19th at Bonita Springs. Both events, Gainesville and Southwest Florida, I'll be speaking sometime after 11 a.m., sometime between 11 and noon. So come on out and say hi. And again, you can get details for both shows right now in the episode notes. The Barnard Medical Center is powering this episode of the Exam Room Podcast. 
Their doctors and dietitians practice lifestyle medicine and promote plant-based nutrition, with in-person visits in their Washington, D.C. office and telemedicine appointments in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to learn more. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. Don't forget the first ever live and in-person episode of The Exam Room out in L.A. Dr. Neil Barnard and breast cancer surgeon to the stars, Dr. Christy Funk, will be there. Tickets start at just $15. The VIP package, you get dinner beforehand, you get priority seating, exclusive meet and greet opportunities. You can take a photo with my big pants if you want, or you can just come out and say, hi, we're going to get you premium seating when the show begins at eight. Dinner will be at 630 and you can buy your tickets right now. Limited tickets still available. PCRM.org slash events or click the link in the episode notes. Come on out. Raise your health IQ with us live and in person. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to fantastic fiber-fueled physician, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, for being here, putting a smile on our face, and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.